Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Ryan Terry, you are the, I believe, founder or CEO of buildit.co, and it can be found at the website at uh, buildit.co. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Doug. Appreciate it. So tell me, first of all, tell me, what does buildit.co do? Yeah, absolutely. So buildit is uh, the world's first native app development platform uh, specifically designed for e-commerce. So uh, I, I say that sentence and a lot of a lot of folks say, all right, that's cool. What does that mean for the layperson, right? So if you're a, if you're a VP of IT, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're anybody else, uh, you're probably like saying, okay, well, what do you mean? So <laughs> basically my partner and I founded BuildIt uh, a little over five years ago now uh, with the idea of, all right, so anybody and everybody, if you're running an e-commerce, you know, enterprise of any type, you know, you're going to have a website, right? Uh, before I, before I started, uh, full-time at BuildIt, before we found the company, I was at Amazon. And before that I was at Walmart and Sam's and my partner was also at Walmart and Sam's also worked for Charles Schwab and many other, uh, you know, companies helping to build an app. And we couldn't get over the idea of, at Amazon, and this was this was six years ago, 70% of their sales were coming through mobile, mobile device. And as we did more and more research on the market, and as Matt and I talked to our network of, you know, C-suite folks that we've gotten to know throughout our entire careers, everybody wasn't pursuing a native app, even though that's obviously the best way to be able to shop. Um, you know, if you're shopping on Amazon, you don't go to Safari on your iPhone and type in www.amazon.com. Pain in the ass, yeah. You you download the Amazon app on your phone. And you, yeah, you shop from there. So why isn't everybody doing it? And it turned out there was really two things. It was time and money. Uh, there's all these platforms that were out there. You you mentioned you know Amazon Web Services, Adobe, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, where you were able to spin up an e-commerce website in days, but you couldn't do that with an app. And and that is something that we set out uh, to to do is solve that time and money problem of. Well, since there's not a platform out there, it takes months. I mean, anywhere between 12 to 18 months to spin up a world-class app and it can end up costing a retailer millions of dollars, you know, in the process. Right. And so we set out to say, okay, well, let's build, let's build the first platform where folks can, you know, license uh, the platform and build on top of, you know, already pre-made products from homepage to checkout to where 50% of the work's already done for them. So a big enterprise, all they have to do is come in and build on top of what we have. And that's uh, that was the vision for build it. And it's grown to where it is today. So if so, as a non, a relatively non-technical person, it sounds like what you've done is developed a platform where your customers can come in, and a lot of the infrastructure for an app, an e-commerce app, is already done, and they can subscribe to your service and build customized, customized for themselves an app that fits their, fits their e-commerce site, and then that's and then, right, and then propagate the app, and and yep. and what kind of clients do you work with? 
So we work with several multi-billion dollar uh, companies at this point. We've been super excited about the progress we've been making uh, over the past couple of years specifically. Uh, Belk right now is our flagship partner. Uh, they're an East Coast uh, apparel retailer. They're about $5 billion a year wow. um, in revenue. Uh, we, we, my partner, Matt Hudson, uh, was, was there with Belk um, years ago and helped them, you know, bring out app. And uh, we've helped them grow the app from, you know, $9 million in their first year to over $350 million now. Uh, so, uh, and, um, and, and that is a huge um, win for, for a company like Belk that's trying to really, you know, legitimize themselves uh, in their space. Um, we have NDAs. Uh, in place with uh, the the two that are launching here pretty soon, so I can't really speak to those uh, at the moment. But you know, we're also we also have partnerships with Forever Twenty One, Compass Group, and and several others at this point. So it sounds like you're 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 pretty heavy into the apparel into in the into the apparel industry. Um, uh, retail, right? It just happens retail. to be, that, yeah, you know. Uh, it happens to be, uh, you know, the couple that are apparel right off of that. But right. yeah, so any 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 e-commerce, uh, specifically B two B B two C, at the moment we're we're currently working with. So yeah. so how does how does the app? Let's assume the app gets developed. I mean, I'm going to show you my ignorance. I mean, does this an app that gets put up on the in the Google Play Store and the Apple the Apple Store? I mean, and people download it from there. Is that is that basically? Yeah. It's distributed. That's right. That's right. So our technology is built on this getting a little nerdy, um, but that's fine because uh, the the nerdy folks in your audience will appreciate it. But right. I'll also you know break it down as well. But our 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 platform is built on React Native technology, meaning where you know basically the code that the uh, the the app is built on and, and is further built with uh, is it renders on both Android and iOS, mm-hmm. meaning that yeah, that's where you would go to download is in the Android or Apple stores. And the cool part about that is um, most retailers, if they're wanting to hire their own internal team to build app, which is typically the case, they'll either hire a third-party agency to build it from scratch, where the agency will actually go and hire other people to do it, right? Because that's their job, is to go out and find experts and build you a beautiful experience. That's why it's expensive. But on the flip side, when, when these companies hire their own teams, they typically have to hire you know, an iOS team, an Android team, and they have their web team. Wow, And that was a big pain point for a lot of our customers, because let's just say the CMO came down and said, I need these 43 brand changes made. Okay. The iOS team would go make their 43 changes. The Android (laughs) team would go make their 43 changes. The web team would go make their 43 changes. And then they would have to get into a war room basically and sync it all together. Where the cool part about our tech, our proprietary tech is, you know, everything that is done in the system, all 43 of those changes renders on both iOS and Android at the same time. Wow, I can see that. And uh, our cost management system, absolutely. And our content management system uh, is going to be web enabled here in the next couple months. So, like, legitimately, you'll be able to update, you know, your mobile experience and have it update across your entire, you know, um, device experience. Pretty that, cool stuff. That is an amazing concept. Um, mm-hmm. I get it. I, even though I'm not technical, I totally get it. And I can see, I can see why some big retailers are really interested in um, in this product. I mean, it's an amazing platform. So, what as a co-founder of, of Build It Co, um, what's the what what do you enjoy most about what you do? Well, really, it's about I, th- I think the most the best part about our company is our culture. Uh, and I know that seems very cliche. I feel like most people would say that, but. It, 
it's just the truth. I mean, our mantra is we live to, we, we exist to make people and products better. Uh, all of our members on our team, we have a team that's, you know, a little over 22. We, we just brought on someone new here this morning. Um, but you were passionate about outside of work. Listen, if you're passionate about code, awesome. And, and we're glad to have you on the team. But we want people on our team that are very passionate about, you know, their families, their hobbies that they're going for. Uh, one of our operations managers, Caleb, um, he's passionate about woodworking. Uh, and you know, he's built, he's built several of his own canoes, uh, and he gets to show them off to the team on the regular basis. And we actually invest, um, you know, company time and we give that time back to our staff to be able to say, go pursue what you love to do and then share that internally with us so we can be inspired by it. Uh, and I, and I, that's my favorite part about build it because I get to see our team. Um, you know, we have Kevin, uh, who's one of our, uh, senior engineers. He gets to show off his artwork from time to time. He's a brilliant artist. Um, I get to show off, you know, uh, what I'm doing as a national strongman athlete, uh, you know, Caleb with his work, uh, with his, um, with his work and, and woodworking, we've got Heather and what she's doing with her daughter, you know, auditioning for, um, schools right now. Cause she's, um, uh, she's a theater major. Uh, so, you know, little things like that, that, that just makes it a lot of fun. Day I've day never, to be able to I've never heard it. Obviously we work hard, but we want to. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, yeah, that's okay. I, I'm just, I just want to comment on that. I've, I've interviewed a lot of people and I've never heard of a company that is focusing on the passions outside of work of its employees and then using, using all of that to inspire everybody else in the company. I think that's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think it's incredibly naive, uh, to be honest with you. I've worked with big, uh, like I said, I was with Walmart, Sam's Club, Amazon. No complaints about those companies, by the way. Great experience. I learned a lot. And a lot of that uh, is what I'm using in, you know, uh, my career today. But, you know, I think it is very naive for companies to hire based off a of passion for, you know, someone coming to do their job. Now, you, well, you, you should love what you do, but you should love living your life more. Yeah, uh, I think that is that is critically important and something that we're trying to change is, you know, I, at, at, when I was at Walmart and, and, and Amazon, for example, you know, there would be, hey, so this month we're going to go out to a food bank and we're going to help sort bags for a couple hours and, and stuff like that. Um, that was that was a great experience. I loved it. But, you know, you got hundreds of people in one place where it didn't there was nothing we were doing something great. But it was something that it was corporate. It wasn't something that was at the individual level. Yeah. Uh, I would much rather, you know, hear about, you know, Joe Smith, whose passion is working at that food bank every afternoon, every evening after work and seeing his impact, right, versus forcing a group, right, into something that's, you know, phil philanthropic. When I would much rather see from each one of those individuals and empower each one of those in individuals to go and, and, and show me how their hobbies are driving because that passion and that energy comes back into the workplace anyways. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting really, concept we're trying to perfect. Really. So, so, yeah, let's cycle back again. What, what's your passion? You said it so fast. I missed it. Well, I have, I have several, um, but my, my passion is, uh, is youth outreach. Uh, so I, um, I've worked with the boys and girls club ever since I was in college um, YMCA, uh, and, and most recently I, I own a couple of gyms up here in Washington and mm. I, um, I actually, uh, I've, I've been a national strongman athlete. I've competed national several times. Um, and, and I actually host competitions up here in the Pacific Northwest. We actually, one of my gyms, um, actually hosts the largest, you know, 
pro-am show in the country right now which is pretty cool um but you know my passion is you know um fitness curriculum if you will that's interlinked with you know youth mentorship either through right. organizations like like the boys and girls club ymca and um you know for another example is uh, we're actually uh, uh i'm coaching the special olympics powerlifting team out of one of the gyms as well so uh that's what i love to do i love yeah, to, yeah. to mentor you know then the next generation and use fitness wow. to do that good for you so it's powerlifting is that what it is strongman competition so, so strong. Uh, so one of the gyms, Dungeon Strength RX, um, that's, uh, that's, that's my, that's my baby. I've had that for a few years now. And it's, it's a gym specifically designed for strongman and powerlifting. They're two, okay. they're two unique disciplines, uh, powerlifting and, and you're an athlete as well. So right. I, I won't, um, I probably won't have to go into too much, but, you know, powerlifting is, um, you know, uh, is squat, bench, and deadlift. It's those three oh, okay. lifts, right? And you're do, you're doing your best as an athlete to perfect each one of those lifts in competition. Where strongman is is a is a fun. It, it's 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 the most fun strength sport uh, currently in existence, in my opinion. Where your job is to pick up very awkward, heavy things, pick them up, and put them back down, right? Uh, <laughs> so you've probably seen on World Strongest Man on ESPN or anything like that. Um, where they're picking up Atlas stones, logs, Husafels, farmer carries, they're carrying wow. cars, you know, things like that. Uh, that's, that's what we, that's what we do at Strongman. So. Interesting. Well, I thank you for educating me. Um, uh, of course. What, as you sit here where you are in your life today as a CEO and founder of, of what is obviously a very successful technology company, what career advice would you give to a young person coming out of college today? Okay. It's a good question. Um, and it's one that we need to be asking more as I've worked more and more with, uh, you know, junior high and high school students, I'm hearing now more than ever school is stupid. Why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this myth that a liberal arts education is no longer viable, uh, that, you know, taking English or, you know, taking, you know, classes that you feel like, you know, hey, I, I already know English. Why am I taking English? Or, you know, why am I in, in, in college as well? I remember several of my uh, friends back then were just like, I'm not going to remember, you know, half of what I'm learning in college. Well, uh, my challenge for um, your, your experience, there's no other experience in the world when you're 18 or 19 years old where you can pay $20,000, $25,000 a year, whatever it costs to go to whatever school you're going to. And you can have that type of experience where you can get to know people from all over the world. You get to meet professors from all over the world. All You can learn literally anything you want to. You can compete in anything you want to. You can you can join a, you know any type of club that you want to. I mean, for a $25,000 budget for a whole year of something like that, there's nowhere. You, you can maybe go stay on an island for a couple of weeks and drink margaritas and, and have a good time. But, you know, I, I want to encourage folks coming out of college to, to continue to, to encourage through example, um, that next generation coming in to, to really understand why it's important to stay disciplined in school. Um, because, you know, I'll tell you right now, the, the kids that come up to me that are, you know, I'm sorry if this is an indirect answer to your question, no, no. but it's the answer that came up, but I, I have 12 year olds, 10 year olds, 14 year olds come up to me all the time. And they ask me, you know, you know, Ryan, how, how can I, 
how can I do what you have? Or how can I lift as much as you or anything like that? And I tell them discipline and time. And when they come up to me and say, well, school's not worth it. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to hire you then. Yeah. And they look at me and they're like, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't want anything to do with you. If you're, if your attitude at 10 years old, 12 years old, 14, 23, 38 is, nah, I don't really care about, you know, living life or living it to the best of my ability or, you know, doing the things that nobody else wants to do, then I, I won't hire you. So why would anybody else? Exactly. And so um, I think that's, uh, I think that's something to me that I'm, it's been on my mind over the past few months as I've gotten to talk to more and more um, younger people. Um, so it is something let, that is worth sharing. Let me give you a story that you can, please, that you can steal. Um, in, in my former life, I was a very successful trial lawyer. And I had a case early on in my career, this was back in the early 80s, where um, my client had been defamed by his former business partner. And it was basically a, a letter, a three-page handwritten letter that was that destroyed my client's business um, because the letter was sent out to my client's customer base. And we knew who had written the letter, but it, since it was anonymous, we had to prove the author. And it turned out that my... Mm-hmm. My client had a whole bunch of exemplars of his former business partner's handwriting. And I remember from when I was at Dartmouth College studying English literature, we, Dartmouth was big in computers, still is big in computers. I learned how to code in basic back in 1969, if you can believe that. Cool. Uh, and the English department was using the computer science department to analyze um, Shakespeare versus Christopher Marlowe, because there were, are some plays that no one's re- really quite sure who was the author. Was it Marlowe or was it Shakespeare? And they were doing linguistic analysis with the computers back then to, to do this analysis. And I, when I was studying Shakespeare, and my professor was talking about this. And I remember many, many years later, linguistic analysis. So I hired a linguistics professor from our local university. And he did an analysis of what we were known known examples of of this man's handwriting versus the the um, defamatory unwritten letter. I received judgments and settlements from insurance companies around all of this over ten million dollars, and this was in 1980, 82, 83, 84. If you don't think that a liberal arts education has any value, just tell that story. How my, my liberal arts education, English literature major at Dartmouth College, translated into um, $10 million in recovery for my client. Of course, I made a, a substantial fee on that, of course. That is the value <laughs> of the liberal arts education. And I would, well have, said. I would have never had that experience if I hadn't studied English literature in college. Amazing. I'm going to steal that. I, yeah, I, I, I want you to steal, steal that. that. I, I will make sure that I, I reference you because what a great example. Of, yeah. of what uh, what what yeah. I'm talking about, and um, and the, the other the other the other facet of that as well is, you know, the as much as the content's important, and this is another thing that really kind of you know gets people to look at me a second time is like, well, what if you're going to meet your wife in English 101? <laughs> right. Like, exactly. There's so many there's so many things like exactly. outside of content. You, exactly. you, you're forgetting about the people you get to meet and the experiences you get to have, right? That's so. right. Well, let me turn to, uh, I know we're getting a little short on time, but one of the things that I'm always interested in, in talking to people like you who are highly successful, and you probably know my background, I'm a lawyer turned peacemaker. Uh, and so I'm very interested in how leaders 
manage and deal with conflict. So I don't know whether you you see much conflict in your business, but I'm always curious about what are the strategies that you have for um, dealing with situations that get a little tense and tough. Yeah. So no, good question. Uh, expectations, I think, is the number one answer. I would I would go ahead and start off with is um, making sure that if it's working with a client, if it's asking someone to do something for you um, or, or anything like that, setting those clear expectations that it's always very clear if there's ever a conflict or, or rubbing of heads comes later, you're always able to reference and said, okay, all right, well, here's the three or four expectations we set at the beginning of this. And one of this isn't happening, you know, one of those isn't happening and, and how are we going to, uh, to solve it? Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's very clear at Amazon. One of my favorite, uh, Amazon's got 13 leadership principles that, uh, that they ask people to study and, and somewhat memorize whenever they come on board. It was one of my favorite, favorite parts about coming on board there because I really enjoyed, you know, how they approached everybody taking a leadership role, no matter what, where you were in the company. And one of them was always my favorite. And I quote it all the time. It was disagree and commit. Uh, and that is something that I preach to the team consistently is that I don't care if you disagree, you have every right to disagree. Um, however, you know, when, when the, whoever's leading that team, whoever's leading that initiative, Whenever that final decision is made, you commit. Uh, and if you don't agree with it, that's fine. You know, be prepared to share the feedback when the project is over, what, what didn't work, what did work. Um, but make sure that as a team, we're moving forward. And, and that that is something that uh, I, I love having that expectation on the front side because it just makes conflict resolution on the backside so much easier. Oh, yeah. Um, because, because you have people that, that agree to that culture and they say, okay, I don't agree with this. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm going to commit. What do you need me to do? Right. And then when the, the project is done, when that task is done, you know, and maybe something did work that they didn't think was going to, but maybe something that didn't work that they knew and they sit on the front side, you know, and we have processes in place in the company where they can come back and say, and give that feedback. And it's a learning for the team, but uh -huh. it's important as far as, you know, being able to make sure that everyone's moving in the same you know, it doesn't halt progress. You're, you're never going to be able to get everybody to agree, right? So you can't halt progress, but you need to learn from it. And, and that's, a, that's a good way to do it. Well, what I really like about it is, is, is on the back end, you can see what the results are. And, uh, you know, like you said, lessons learned. Maybe, maybe it turned out better than expected. Maybe the person that disagreed didn't have full information or full knowledge or, or full enough experience to see everything and could learn from it. Or to your point, if something went wrong, or didn't turn out as expected, you can go back and say, well, this guy picked it up in the beginning. How come we missed it? How come we didn't listen to him? Yep. Really, yep. really sound advice. One of the, oh. one of the things, this, this show is course, called Listening with Leaders, and another one of my passions is, is listening. Tell me about how important listening is to you as a leader in your company. Extremely critical. Uh, and I'm really glad. Uh, it's actually one of the, my favorite. Whenever uh, Kara sent over your podcast name, I was like, I love the title. <laughs> Thanks. Listening, listening, because the that word is just such a. That there's leadership books that you know speak specifically about you know Warren Buffett. Honestly, uh, if I let's just call it a name that everybody knows, mm -hmm. he in any book that he writes, uh, there's always at least a chapter or two dedicated to just that one word. And, and saying, stop, stop hearing things and start really listening and learning. Um, and I think one thing that I, I encourage a lot of people 
to do and it's it i struggle with it every day i'm sure you do as well i'm actually you're probably a little bit more practiced uh, from your legal background but you know how often do we have that urge especially if you're a salesperson like me if someone's in the middle of talking right and they and they say something you're like oh man the story just popped in my head and i got to talk about it right now how often are we just trying to interrupt somebody in order to just say what we want to say next rather than really take that key point that that person was trying to get across and, and learn and, and delve from it. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, um, I would say it's, I will lose probably, uh, if I wanted to put a percentage point on it, I guess, but I'll lose 30 to 40% of my, you know, you know, um, critical thinking with somebody if they're constantly trying to get their next thing in, or if they're trying to say something and I can, you can always tell from body language when someone is ready just to get in there and talk and interject. And you can tell when no one's really listening. And if you can really show people through your body language and through, you know, your feedback to them that you, you really are trying to absorb what they're trying to say. I mean, it, it enhances that relationship to another level. Uh, listening is very undervalued, especially especially in today's world of toxic social media. And that's a conversation we could spend two hours on but <laughs> of, of where people read two sentences and then comment afterwards. Right. Nobody reads anymore. Nobody reads the law or nobody, nobody actually does what the, the real studying to figure out what's going on with the situation. And it's a problem. Yeah. It really is. Uh, well, that's why, that's why I study listening and teach listening uh, because you just made my, you made my case for me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's you're right. I mean, it's something that needs to be talked about more and needs to be preached right. more, um, especially from leaders. So, right. I mean, the interrupting part, very interesting, is caused by emotional impulse, low emotional impulse control. So, mm. so we're talking, we're talking to somebody, and you'll get this immediately. And you're talking, and you're watching somebody, and you can just tell they just on the edge of their seat, they want to jump in. It's because something you said had an emotional effect on them, and that this emotion is pushing an urge. To, to utter something. And the people that interrupt don't have emotional control and, and they're not listening. All they are doing is reacting to their emotional experience, which is really interesting. Um, one more question and we'll wrap it up. Um, sure. You're such an interesting guy. Uh, tell us one thing about yourself that we wouldn't know unless you revealed it to us. Cool. What's a, uh... Man, that's a tough one to end on. I, <laughs> uh, what is one thing about myself that, so if someone were to just look me up on LinkedIn or something and be like, well, I'm just trying to put some context behind that question, I guess. Uh, professionally, personally? Well, okay, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. So what something you wouldn't know about me, unless I told you, was that three generations of my family, my my mother, my brothers, and my brother's children all went to the same public schools in the same city in Southern California and had the same teachers and principals. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is, that not only is interesting, but I hope you share that with everybody you talk to because that's, that is crazy. How, yeah. uh, so three, gener two generations, three generations, three generations, my mother, my, the principal of my middle school was my mother's fourth grade teacher. And, and <laughs> wow. I had, I had my, the teachers I had also taught my younger brothers and ultimately were still teaching when my brother's children went through the same schools. Isn't okay. Yeah. 
That is so very interesting. I, I, I think that's so cool. Um, what, a, what an interesting thing to be able to share. Oh, well, and, and you inspired me. I actually, um, I actually do have one. One thing that people do see that does surprise a lot of people uh, because they see me, they see me compete, they see me in the gym or they see me, you know, uh, talking tech is I am a massive, massive board game nerd. Um, and, and, and I think, uh, I think your, your first thought in your head is like, okay, cool. So he plays Monopoly or something like that. No, 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 You understand. I, I own over, you know, 73 different board games, wow. um, ah. and, uh, that I've, and I've gone to board King conventions, uh, all over the country. And, um, I, I love, you know, and I'm a fan of different game makers across the world. Uh, and my fascination is I've always been very fascinated on how people create, you know, these games, because people think of a board game, they're like, oh, okay, it's simple. And, uh, you know, okay, here's the rule book. And here, here you go. But how, how do people create the rules? How do they just come up with it? Right? I've always been very fascinated by that. And so I have board games from game makers in Italy, Germany, um, Russia, you know, all over the place, just because I've had a chance to try them and demo them myself. And so I guess I'm a little bit of a collector from that, that perspective. Is, that that is, usually shocks a lot of people. That is the perfect answer. Probably the best answer I've had in all the interviews I've done. Well, come on, you're just, you're just saying that now. Known, I would have never guessed that you're a board game collector. That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Ryan, Ryan, we've come up to the end of the half hour. I don't want to hold you any longer. I just really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with my audience and myself on the show. You were an amazing guy doing amazing work. And I am really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Great experience. Have a good day. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.